coming up next, Brandon, what are we talking about today? Mansfield Park. Jake, agree or disagree? Agree. All right. Welcome to the Buccaneers! Yeah. yeah! People are cheering in their cars right now, Jake. They're, they probably dropped with their... There's probably like a housewife that was doing some housewife... Broken dishes everywhere. Broken dishes everywhere. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Broken dishes. <laughs> muffins flying out of muffin tins. M- muffins flying out of muffins tins. Because that's what... When the ladies are making the muffins, what do they do but put the earbuds in and listen to the bookening, right, Brandon? I think my wife listens while she does dishes and stuff, yeah. Well, does dishes and makes makes muffins. That's right. The two tasks. I literally came home today and my wife was listening while folding laundry. There you go. Uh, yeah. There you go. Uh, as we found out last week, Brandon and Jake, they have healthy marriages. They love their wives. Their wives love them. Their children love them. Blissful happiness. As we know, every happy family is alike. Jake's family, Brandon's family, exactly alike. Because every happy family is alike. That's right. Absolutely no difference. Absolutely (laughs) no difference whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because every happy family is alike. The great Leo Tolstoy said that, Brandon. Yeah, probably one of his dumber lines. Let's do donor shout outs. Let's do donor shout outs. Unless what? Let's do donor shout outs. I'd love to. Right now. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, Jake, you ready to do some? Oh, Jake's raising his hand. He's calling on him. I'm pretty sure you haven't actually introduced anybody. Okay. You make a fair point, sir. You make a fair point. My name is Nathan Opposite. I'm your humble and obedient host of the podcast. I don't know. Maybe our donors are more important than we are. Maybe we should donor shout out and then introduce ourselves. I think let's do it. Why not? Three strangers, donor shout outing. Let's do it. All right. uh, Donors, we love you, donors. By the way, if you want to become a donor of the booking, what you do, you go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. You sign up for at least the $10 level and we will shout you out on the podcast and do it in reverse order of what I did last time. So let's go ahead and do something we almost never do and start out with Professor X. Me? Yes, yes, sir. Professor X. And then, Brandon, if you could give a little, uh, uh, give a get get yourself a nice refreshing beverage. <laughs> Brandon is drinking a Diet Pepsi right now. Got the right one, baby. Yeah, losing some weight, drinking some Diet Pepsi. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. Were you going to say something more? No, that's all right. The Uh, lovebirds. Jake, if you could give a little love to Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. And what about Benjamin Tiberius, Brandon? What about him? Shout him out. Benjamin Tiberius. (laughs) All right. I just kind of accept the fact that Benjamin Tiberius is his name, even though Tiberius is a name that we randomly assigned him many episodes ago. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Let's see here. Benjamin... We'd love to know what the actual thing T stands for in your name. It's your middle initial. I hope you don't mind me telling your listeners that. I'd love to know what your middle initial is. Does it stand for Ted? Does it stand for... What else could T stand for, Jake? Twyla. 
Twyla? Does it stand for Twyla? <laughs> it probably stands for Twyla. Jake's having a, I was going to say wardrobe malfunction because <laughs> my brain's not working very well. Jake's having a microphone. Fo- uh, if you like to hear people screwing in microphones, folks, today's your lucky day because Jake's microphone basically just fell out of its thing. I don't know what's happening I here. no idea. I'm so sorry to Jay and Katie. They're going to have to wait for their shout out while Jake. Hopefully you're not too cold. There, well, we can have Brandon I do it. I think this is okay. I hope they need some cheese. Yeah, they just need some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Jay and Katie, the lovebirds who are cold and... Love cheese. Jay and Katie, the lovebirds who are cold and love cheese. And of course, uh, we've got Maya. Maya. <laughs> and my beloved mother, Beth. Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. John and Jill, the lovebirds. John and Jill, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Jenny Z, the inscrutable. Jenny Z, the inscrutable. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. And that concludes donor shoutouts. Thank you, donors. Well deserved. Well deserved, yes. <laughs> okay, let me introduce us. Uh, maybe I'll do this in reverse order. We've got the pastor who's a master of reading. It's Jake Menzel. How you doing, Nathan? I'm doing fantastic. Jake, how about yourself? Doing fine. And then we've got Brandon Chastine, the scholar, who's a baller of reading. Hey, Nathan. He was walking down the street just the other day when suddenly I can't rhyme anything with day. Oh, no. My rap is going nowhere. Ah! Oh, how embarrassing for me. Very embarrassing. <laughs> I tried to do a rap. I couldn't even get up to one rhyme. <laughs> Egg all I spit exactly face. zero bars there. Yep. I'll try it again. His name is Brandon. He's so cool. He went to a really good school. He uh, got his PhD, only not. He paid a hefty fee. And he'll take a gun, he'll uh, wave it around, (laughs) and he'll tell you to get on the ground. Because Brandon, he's such a thug, He's and people uh, are attracted to him like uh, moths are uh, uh, to a light. There are also (laughs) bugs, is what I'm talking about. People find his personalities magnetic and cool, because Brandon, he went to school. So go to school, kids. So go to school. <laughs> be the point of that rap. <laughs> Those or, are some or don't bar. if you want to be like Nathan. No. Yeah. <laughs> Here are your choices. <laughs> your choices. <laughs> the answer is clear. Brent Chastine, the scholar who's a baller of reading, of course. Me, I just like to spit bars. That's right. <laughs> Apparently today I just I decided to spit some bars. This whole uh, episode will be one freestyle rap. <laughs> one freestyle rap. Yeah, boy, that was silly. Okay, guys, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. This let's let's talk about Mansfield Park. What do you guys say? You want to do it? Talk about some Mansfield Park. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about this Fanny Price character. Baggage check. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. We haven't even done baggage check. Brandon, what, what baggage did you bring to this novel? Do I start? Sure. Uh, um, you don't have so to. So what you novel? Know, Brandon, what, never, Brandon always what, finishes what, baggage. Brandon, what baggage so do I... Sorry. No, I sorry. I apologize. I'm going to start. Shut up. You already asked Just me. shut up. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear your baggage. Okay. You spent an entire episode blah, blah, blah <laughs> with your context last time. So I'll just be You've quiet had for your a say. Okay. You've had your say. We all want to hear Jake's baggage. Yeah. Jake, what baggage did you bring <laughs> to the bookening? Brandon, I'm sorry. That was that was much harsher. I'm okay. What I, baggage did I bring to the bookening? I just wanted people to think that I was cool, Brandon. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I forgive. Maybe. I had to come back, come back pretty... <laughs> I dug myself in a pretty deep hole with that freestyle there, so... 
<laughs> I needed to do something to regain. Anyway, Jake, what baggage did you bring to this book? Not to the bookening. Oh, good. I was afraid I was going to have to answer something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't want to know the answer to that question. I uh, think you do. What bring to Mansfield Park? Mansfield Park. Never read Mansfield Park. I've read exactly two Jane Austen novels before this one, mm-hmm. uh, Emma and Pride and Prejudice. And so the only baggage I brought was expecting it to be fantastic. Uh, what you told me which was that it was darker, unlike any other Austin novel. Yeah. And so an expectation of maybe things working, not working out and having a typical Jane Austen fairy tale ending. It's not, it's not really fair to, maybe it is kind of fair to call her endings fairy tale endings. But I don't know we can talk about that later. As far as the guy gets the girl in fairy tales, that generally is what happens. That's what in happens. Jane yeah, and Oliver. That's what happens here. Things tend to work themselves out. Our heroine finds her man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's really it. Should I have said that? I wondered the whole time during your reading, like, did I color Jake's reading of this thing by saying it was dark and by by, by saying what I said? Well, it may have played into my perception of, and again, we can talk about this later, but I think I said on the C.S. Lewis episode that the characters here are more real and things Mm -hmm. feel more, much more in the balance. Yeah. The the whole way through, like you're not there's much more tension in uh, this novel than in Emma or Pride and Prejudice about you know who's going to end up with who or how things are actually going to turn out. I think I do think a lot of that's just because of how Austen wrote this novel and the way that she developed these characters and the story. But some of that for me may have been because you maybe rattled the foundation in my mind of in how you said that or how I heard you say it. But I don't know. Yeah. Me neither. I'm not sure whether I was questioning my, whether I should have said anything like that. My baggage is I love Jane Austen. I'm a Jane Austen fanboy. This is, I don't know. This is one of her best in my humble opinion. And I don't know what else to say. That's my baggage. I love Jane Austen. This is one of her novels. It's the coolest. Brennan, what baggage did you bring to this novel? Pretty much what you guys bring. This book I have right here, it's called a Rupa Classic. Mm-hmm. It's called a Rupa Classic because it actually was published in India hmm. because we had an inter- international student when I was like 13 or 14. And one thing that we shared in common, she was an English student at TCU, which was the local college back in Fort Worth. TCU, Horn Frogs. And so she was a part of our family. She came, you know, she we'd hosted her and she would come over. We shared a love of books. She knew I really liked Dickens at the time, and she thought she was going to correct that. Mm-hmm. So she bought me all of Jane Austen's works mm-hmm. and brought them back from India. Mm. So those, those are the ones I have now. Yeah, it's a cool so, copy. Yeah. So it's called a Ripa Classic. It's falling apart. It's not that well put together, but still. That's my baggage. <laughs> I really didn't f- fall in love with Jane Austen until a little later. I liked Dickens and Tolstoy, those guys, more. Bright and Prejudice I read, thought it was brilliant, but never read the whole set of her works. So this is nice to get to read them. The only other one that I've read is Sense and Sensibility. Mm -hmm. Which is a fun fact about me, the only one that I've not read. Really? Never read Sense and Sensibility. I might have to do it next year just so I can officially say I've read the whole canon. Yeah, so now I have. I've read Pride and Prejudice and Emma Mansfield Park. You've read every novel published during Jane Austen's lifetime. Yeah. There There we have it. There we have it. I started Northanger Abbey once and then finished it. Oh, no. Yeah. What happened? Your copy life stolen or yeah that's the only acceptable, <laughs> that's the only acceptable answer yeah <laughs> that's what happened pterodactyl came and swooped me up and <laughs> pterodactyl swooped you up yeah <laughs> taking you away from where your copy was located the lake. another one swooped over they tried to tear me in half but. okay well how, how'd you get out of that oh man 
Alan Grant saved me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh-huh. Are you referencing Jurassic Park 3? <laughs> yeah, the one I've never seen. I'm pretty sure that happens in Jurassic yeah. Park 3. <laughs> I think a woman gets horribly killed in the new Jurassic Park by yes. pterodactyls, Yes, right? in Jurassic World. Very controversial death scene. Yeah. People felt that she didn't deserve it. Yeah. yeah. Do we? Do any of us deserve it? <laughs> <laughs> I think if you want to talk, I think what John Calvin would say is that we all deserve to be eaten by dinosaurs. That's probably true. There's no man true. born that does not yeah. deserve to be ripped apart or lifted up by a pterodactyl and then eaten by a big water dinosaur yep. type creature. Man. Jake, your thoughts? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Well, this is our big, this is the Fanny Price episode. That's what I like to call it. The Price is Right. Come on. Or, or is she? Maybe the price is wrong. That's that's my question for you fellas. Is what do we think about old Fanny Price? A very controversial heroine in the Austin verse, as Brandon was alluding to last time. People, a lot of people, including Jane Austen's own mother, said Fanny was insipid. Jane Austen's own sister had problems with the way the novel resolved. I don't know if she necessarily had problems with Fanny herself, but I actually read a series of letters that Jane Austen collected from friends and relatives upon the publication of Mansfield Park, and a lot of people loved it. There was a minister in there. Maybe it was one of her brothers. I don't know. This letter collection just gave their names, but didn't really specify what the relationship was. But there was a minister that just said Fanny was a model of womanhood, and he really loved her and thought she was great. And, and then about half the people really liked Fanny. But then about half the people Jane, among Jane Austen's friends and acquaintances said they liked the novel, they liked certain scenes, they liked things about it, but they didn't care for Fanny. So Fanny's always been a character that people have been back and forth on, not just with the rise of feminism and we hate Fanny because she's so passive or whatever, but from the beginning of the novel's publication, Fanny's been kind of a controversial heroine. So with that being the setup, maybe I'll just start with a generic question. What did you guys think about old Fanny Price? I I liked Fanny. I'm team Fanny. You're team yeah. Fanny? All right. Episode done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum. I don't think she's a flawless being. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's perfect. But I do think she's awesome. So explain. Fanny, I actually think perhaps the key to her being awesome is for you to prove to us that she's not flawless because of what a lot of people hate about her is that she's just pe- a good people two think who's that two she's years. an angelic figure. Well, she's, like, no, she's damaged. Mm-hmm. That's what she really is. She's damaged and wounded. At the age of 10, was separated from her family and came to a place where she was abused, emotionally abused. It, the situation she was in, as we get to see later later on, yeah. later on is basically an abusive situation. She comes in and then she's essentially the the cold shoulder from her uncle. She gets the nasty manipulative treatment of her aunt Norris. Well, her aunt Norris just decides to hate her from the Yeah, and, and, and put her down and make her feel like she's worthless ungrateful trash. Make sure she does not have a fire in her little room. Because she, yeah, yeah, especially early on, it's it's very Cinderella-ish mm-hmm. this this story. Like kind of the fact that we have the two sisters that are Exactly, the two bratty unkind sisters. Mm-hmm. The evil stepmom character is actually Aunt Norris, but mm-hmm. but yeah, making sure that she's up in the basically up in the attic in the worst possible room, and she's not even allowed to have a fire up there. Mm. And she has a sweet disposition. She is trying to think the best of people, and she's trying to be humble and grateful. But she's sort of she's like a 
an abused puppy, mm-hmm. timid and shy, totally lacking in any of the the self-confidence that would have come simply by being loved, lacking in the the strength that that would just come from feeling valued, right, appreciated. So she is awesome. She's awesome because she she manages to be humble and sweet and not bitter. She manages to be grateful. She does a good job of putting her mind on all the things that she has to be grateful for. But like a kid who's grown up in an abusive situation, you know, every she just knows everything's all her fault. Well, the classic thing about abused kids is that they don't know that they're abused kids. They think that that's just normal. They think that they they don't know that they're supposed to expect affection from their dad, for example, because they just, oh, dad doesn't give affection. That's how things are. That's what I'm used to. Yeah, and certain abused kids, they, I mean, they're just bitter and angry, and others, they just think, well, that's just the way it is, and that's what I deserve, and that's, mm-hmm. she's definitely in that second, that second class of person. To call it abuse is to be somewhat hyperbolic i guess but man how oppressive what an oppressive environment she she went from one kind of oppressive environment to another it's hyperbolic in the sense that nobody was beating her sir thomas doesn't honestly doesn't uh, intend any harm as we find out later he actually grows in affection for her over the years and i think always has her best interests in mind and so far as He's just blind to what's going on. I mean, if he had any real... From Aunt Norris, I'd say yes. Real abuse from her. Yeah. Yeah. She abuse want, from Henry. She wants Fanny to hurt. She wants her to not have a fight. Aunt yeah. Norris is actually has a sadistic Yeah, streak. she is sadistic. You know, why Austin explains to us at one point why she decides she hates... Well, she had no right to expect as good as Maria and mm-hmm. Julia. So she wanted to keep her in her place. Mm-hmm. And even Lady Bertram had some of that quality too because she got angry when Fanny was invited over to the Grant's house for dinner. Mm-hmm. Remember that scene? Yep. But that and was, so. I mean... For Lady Bertram, it's not as it's not actively malicious the way it is with Mrs. Norris. Mm-hmm. With Mrs. Norris, it's actively malicious. With Lady Bertram, it's selfish. She's got herself a little slave that she and doesn't jealous. have to have responsibility for yeah. to do anything except keep her around to make her life easier, which is all she cares about. Mm-hmm. And Happy jealous, to yeah. use her up until jealousy too, because whenever um Fanny goes and is praised at the ball. She has to remind everybody that she's the one that oh, yeah. gave her her butler to right. dress her. Yeah, and so she's continually put in her place, and she can either be bitter or she can be the type that just thinks that this is the way the world is. And it's not a surprise when you see her go back to her family, if that's what her life was like before she left. Yeah. You see with her with her sister, what's her sister's name, Susan? Susan, Susan yeah. yeah. She's lively and energetic and more... There's active. Uh, active, that's the I think that's the word mm-hmm. yeah, she uses. So when she gets back into the... Mansfield Park, she is a very different person than Fanny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Jane Austen is saying that they're all going to turn out this way. Fanny in particular has become this type of person under this situation. It's because she is quiet and she's shy. She actually reminds me a lot of Esther Summerson from Bleak House. Um, Have you read Bleak House? No, I've seen the movie. I'm looking forward to reading it this year for the booking. I think they're very, very similar Mm -hmm. characters, actually. And I'm curious to find out if, I mean, from Mansfield Park, Mansfield Park seems like an early Dickens novel. A lot of the characters, especially when she goes back to Portsmouth, mm-hmm. that's like a Dickens home. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's unhappiness and in the caricature of the mother and the father and the screaming children. It actually reminds me a lot of the Jellybee home in mm-hmm. Bleak House. There's a lot of echoes of Mansfield Park in Bleak House. And I wonder if it wasn't, I wonder if he wasn't influenced heavily by Mansfield yeah, Park. That's interesting. Well, Dickens, correct me if I'm wrong, you, Man, Austin tends to deal with 
landed gentry in higher society and Dickinson mm-hmm. to, to deal with the other side, how That's the right. other half lives. And this is just maybe as much Austin's sort of only or first foray into... It's the only one that I can really think of where she just goes this deep into a lower class. The yeah. only other would be Harriet. Yeah, but we don't We, we don't, don't have to go we home with we Harriet. Don't have, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is very Dickensian. And even in Bleak House, we're going to be dealing with the house, which is Bleak House is actually the name of the house, mm. Mr. Jarndyce's house. So I got to imagine that this had some influence. There are a yeah. lot of echoes of this. That's interesting. So, well, the other interesting thing about that whole section where she goes home, in the letters that I read from Jane Austen's friends and family, universally, they all praised that section of the novel as just being really clever and well executed and funny even. I thought that section was nothing but painful. Yeah. Which part? People thought it was like a masterpiece of comic tension. tension. It's not, the tension wasn't very comic for me. Yeah. I did. The the part where she goes home to her actual birth. She spends her three months and. No, yeah, that's not comic. I didn't think it was comic. It was painful to watch her there. I mean, it's like, I can understand there is comic ironies going on there, but it's really black, black comedy. If you care about Fanny at all, then you're just hurting for her the whole time, basically. I mean, it's really sad when her dad comes home and hardly cares yeah. at all. And then to just think of her living with that noise and the those terrible... The thin you know. walls and the... I mean, that's where you can... She gets irritated her family there. Mm. And she grows to actually kind of hate them. Right. And being home. So she's not a perfect person by any means. As principled as she is, she's demure mm-hmm. and she's principled like young ladies of the time were supposed to be. She was also very concerned about doing the proper thing, but she was never forceful in her character too. Mm-hmm. And that is something that was lacking because there are certain times where she could have been forceful and have prevented a lot of people a lot of trouble. A lot of misery if she would have just yeah. had the force of character, I think maybe a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wisdom, the faith, the courage to actually say what she saw. Mm-hmm. She could have saved a lot of pain and misery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what people don't get when they're irritated with Fanny. They think that Jane Austen is presenting her as this perfect paragon of virtue and therefore they're annoyed by it. If that was true, then I could see their point maybe. But she's presented just the same way as Lizzie or Emma is presented as a young woman that's immature in some ways and that comes to that moment, that crisis where she has to grow up. And for her, it's standing her ground with her uncle. Yeah, it's the trial by fire. It's actually having to not be passive and make a decision against what even Edmund thinks she should do and then stick to her guns. And I think when you think about it that way, you begin to understand why the only appropriate ending for the novel is Austin vindicating her for that decision. Yeah, because there's no irony in it. There's no like Jane Austen suggesting that her principled attitude is wrong. And that's the the brilliant part of the novel, the central image of the play where... Everybody's character comes out around mm-hmm. this play. Yeah. And something we didn't t- touch on with context, but the whole history of the play and where it was at this moment. Yeah, talk a little bit about that because that's a fascinating section. Of well, it actually novel. is based on a real play. Mm-hmm. Love, whatever it is. It's from an Irish playwright. I forget her name. She's seen as like a heroine of modern feminist writers too. She gets a lot of input in You get the impression Jane Austen thinks she's kind of trashy though. Right? Yeah, she was trashy. So what you had, you would have had a lot of these parlor room plays at the time. Coming out of the Restoration England, you had a lot of really body plays and a lot of them would be performed in noblemen's houses. So you had these great manners. The manners were built. A lot of times they were so big because they wanted to attract the nobility to it. They wanted to attract the king to come. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think we talked about with Shakespeare. They put on one of the big play and productions at one of these houses. All that to say is this continued 
into the late 1600s, early 1700s with a lot of plays that would be performed at these houses. And some of them were really like sexually explicit, pretty awful things. And so then finally in the 1700s, you would have an act that would restrict. It was basically a censorship act where there was a men assigned by parliament who would read every play and then give it their stamp of approval. (laughs) And you can still go and find some of these plays with like the blue lines marking out sections that couldn't be read publicly. (laughs) So there was a whole dialogue politically and morally surrounding plays at the time. And then also the clergy and the position of the clergy and whether or not the clergy was... So as we were coming out of the Age of Enlightenment, religion's not taken quite as seriously. Then you get to Romanticism, it definitely isn't as taken as seriously. And so you kind of have this going hand in hand, the position of the clergy, whether or not they have any power to speak to people's morality. Plays encouraging uh, vice. I mean, this is a debate as old as time, whether plays encourage vice or virtue. And so then all this, and Fanny is someone who is very principled, takes morality and these questions very seriously. That's why she doesn't like Henry, or at least why she tells him at first she doesn't like him. It's because he can't take anything seriously. Mm -hmm. He doesn't actually want to sit and think about whether or not a play can affect you morally. He just wants to go and play the part of the lover. And then he commits adultery with Mary. Right. Because the floodgates are all opened by this one play. Because Fanny takes seriously that art can affect you morally. And that if it's has the potential to burn, just don't do it. And that's that's some wisdom from Fanny. She's how old? Not can be over twenty, right? Probably be eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. I forget. I mean, in the end, the, yeah, this is a literature podcast. But in the end, if something's going to burn, don't do it. Mm. Art's not that important, right? 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 Yep. Books aren't that important. Anyways, we're not saying throw out all books or we'd have to stop the podcast. But, but anyway, so that's the sort of position plays were in and why Fanny and Edmund took them so seriously because it was a political and a moral issue. And so Edmund, his crisis is, is he going to stand firm with the play and not allow this play to take place in his father's home? Because this, it, you know, the courtships and stuff, even though it was a play, I don't know if anybody has acted before, mm-hmm. but I know that like, well, for example... Anna and I, we knew my wife, my lovely wife, Anna. Mm -hmm. We knew each other in high school. We got married at 18. But there was a play we did at 16 with our co-op. And I mean, we... We took very seriously whether or not we got to like uh, be the lead parts together. Mm-hmm. We were upset when we didn't both get to be. Uh, we did um, something from The Taming of the Shrew. Did one of you get to be the lead and not the other one? Yeah, she got to be the lead. Oh, no. And this other guy got to be the other guy. But oh, no. I got to be the old man, though, that she got to help down the stairs. Okay. And so she got to have me touch her arm. Mm-hmm. And that like made it all better. So yeah, yeah, so this stuff matters. And she knew it would matter. And of course it ended up mattering because everybody took it very seriously. And then you see everybody's character coming out in it. Henry is the guy who can, he's an actor. Mm -hmm. He takes on whatever someone tells him at the time he needs to be. He's a chameleon. And Edmund is the guy who should have been principled, but wasn't, right? Because um, there was a girl. It was a girl (laughs) made him. We're men of the world here. It was a girl flustered his ideas of virtue and... Mm -hmm. Then you have Fanny, who's too demure to tell everybody that she thinks they're wrong. Everybody's and vice And it makes herself out. complicit because she yeah. wants so much to be liked and to be useful that she goes around and, you know, helps everybody memorize their parts. Yeah. Even though she's principally opposed to the play mm-hmm. and the whole business. And so she plays a part in the eventual downfall. Can't say no to own. Edmund, which is like, you could actually be yeah. a better help to Edmund in this particular case by yeah. the, you know, not just a... Uh, Being subjugated to him, as that stupid article from last episode said. Jane Austen, I would think, is saying that 
part of feminine virtue isn't just being silent in the face of what's wrong. If you know that something's wrong, you have to stand up and actually be willing to voice your opinion instead yeah. of being the silent demure type. Yeah, and what Fanny always does is retreats into her very strong sense of her place, which is she yeah. doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how she avoids conflict. Yeah, so she needs It's convenient of- for her personality combined with this sense of she has no place and no standing and no right and uh, to say anything to anybody. And if she did, it would be improper uh-huh. of her. It'd be presumptuous of her to express her thoughts. And the only place where she can finally, you know, stand is when it hits her where she lives and it's Henry coming at her. Yeah. She creates a problem for herself there because it comes as a complete shock to everyone. She hasn't built up any of the capital that she would need relationally to be able to make that stand because, you know, her uncle's just like, what? Right. Nobody knows her. Nobody understands where this is coming from. They all think that if they just work on her for a little bit, eventually she'll come around. And it's just like. Well, yeah, her uncle just thinks, well, I, did, I had no idea you were so proud and stubborn and stupid. Right. Yeah. So she's kind of the opposite of Elizabeth Bennett. Yeah. And but she, they, you know, I mean, I think she has her little Jane Austen lesson to learn just like every one of her yeah. her heroines does. And yeah, we never really get to see her perform her lesson. Right. Right. We know she never stands up to anybody in the end, does she? But everybody eventually comes around to seeing her as being right. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do see is that she has to come to actual judgments against her family at home, and that helps. Yeah. And she has to stand up for herself and make decisions and assert herself. And we see these little baby steps, like she goes out and takes a subscription for the lending library or whatever, the circulating library, and that was a big thing for her. And, you know, big things for Fanny are little things for, for everybody else, but then she has to go back and have the actual conversation with Edmund about Mary. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell Edmund that he was wrong. Yeah, and uh, she never says, I saw it all along. Yeah. Don't think she should. Right. Unless she were apologizing, but yeah. Yeah, and as far as feminists go, I mean, that's... She's showing us how... So at the beginning, there's that part where Henry... No, Edmund is proud and how he can improve through books that he's giving Fanny, mm-hmm. can improve her mind. Mm-hmm. And so then by the end of the novel, you have a reversal of that where Fanny has improved Edmund's moral character through just having been steadfast and principled. Yeah. Well, and so. I mean, stop me if this is weird, but it seems to me that feminine virtue is different than masculine virtue and feminine virtue can actually take something of a passive character sometimes. I mean, she's reacting well, yeah, there's to a reason why Peter tells... Oh, from the Bible. Through your quiet spirit. Let me just... By your conduct, you'll... Yeah. You'll win your husband. Yeah. This is from 1 Peter 3. Uh, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, et cetera, et cetera, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just true that by and large, the way to win your husband is through your chaste and respectful behavior. Not first step, first tactic is to win your husband without words. A lot of young women don't understand that and are fearful and they want to take their husband on as a man would. Then they're shocked and surprised when they come at him with their fists raised that uh, he raises his own fists, figuratively speaking. Right. There's this magical thing that happens though when a woman accepts her weakness and wears her her weakness and her deference, displays her gentle and quiet spirit where a man's heart just kind of goes to putty yeah. and uh, um, he's won. Right. Mm-hmm. Including Henry Crawford 
for crying out loud. Indeed. Yeah, even the devil himself. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't acting. I mean, it's it's interesting that Jane Austen gives Henry Crawford the fact that he falls head over heels for, for the whole thing. I mean, he's just... No, oh, yeah, he's very similar to the other cads, mm-hmm. Frank Churchill and well, it reminds the me one of from Pride and Prejudice. When I was in Campus Crusade for a couple of years... It was by and large a dating kind of, you know, guys were there to find girls, girls were there to find guys, but so many of the guys, they weren't there because they had faith, but they were there because they wanted a Christian woman. (laughs) I don't know how to talk about that, but you just see these guys and it's just like there's this class of guy and what they want, they don't want to be godly. They don't want to tame their spirit, but they do really want a woman who's virtuous and meek and humble and sweet and who loves God. And that's the, yeah, they're experts at attracting that kind of guy. Hmm. Yeah. When you say that, what I think of are like, I think of- The ministries I meant, not the girls. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Well, it just seems like that is an archetype that has sort of been lost to us now, but I just feel like my grandparents' generation, you saw that coupling all the time. Sweet little old lady and hard, hard living dude. Like I just knew so many people. Most of them, I guess, would be dead now, but mm-hmm. who fit that stereotype. And so it's interesting that 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 little morality play was still playing itself out in Campus Crusade because you don't think of it as something that happens so much anymore. But it sure is something that I feel like if I was going to look for it, I knew where it would it would have been about the generation ahead of my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's helpful for our podcast or not, but just kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of what we're saying will be helpful for the show, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, I do want to be careful not to, you know, as we're opening up the fact that Fanny did have some flaws. I mean, I think she is also. She's awesome. Awesome. And it is the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. And there's something very lovable about that, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think people that hate it, hate it because they hate godliness, basically. Yeah, they think that the feistiness and the wit is more entertaining. Well, the thing the thing that I think about this novel that's so condemning for me, the way the way that Jane Austen kind of rebukes me in this novel is I just think there's no way I wouldn't be in Edmund's shoes exactly. There's no way I wouldn't be super head over heels for Mary stupid Mary Crawford who's fast and funny and lively and pretty and just ignoring shy, demure, boring Fanny. There's just no way I don't make that mistake. And there's also no way I don't regret that mistake for the rest of my life. Like, I'm very thankful in my own life for the relationships I've had that, or that God's kept me from that have been with the Mary Crawfords because Mary Crawford's always who I'm, you know, I'm like, I like to banter with people. I like to do that kind of thing. People know if they listen to the podcast. So the Mary Crawfords are always the ones that I go after, but I just, she's not worth it. Yeah. A lot of people criticize Edmund too, for the same reason. They say he's too boring. He's not boring. Edmund's one of her best heroes. I think I love that guy. Yeah. Well, I think I fall in love with Edmund and I never stop loving him from the very first chapter. Right. Because when Fanny's all alone and scared and sad and he just like helps her uh, get some letter writing materials and stands there with her. And he's just trying to figure out what's going on with her, but knows she just needs a hug, basically. He has to (laughs) kind of tease it out of her. It's just like, you love that guy. I love that guy from then on. Yeah. The, his flaw, his fatal, his almost fatal flaw makes him more lovable in some ways. The fact that someone is as uh, good and steadfast and wonderful as Edmund could fall for Mary Crawford 
spend most of the book ordering his whole mental energies in such a way as to make her look better in his mind better than she actually is and make her live up to his impossible ideals and almost make the fatal mistake of, of marrying her pretty relatable mm-hmm. like i was just saying did you guys ever feel like fanny the other big criticism that fanny gets is that she's too judgmental that she actually should have given henry crawford a chance that she you know people don't like that i guess austin pretty well vindicates that with the way she ends the novel but people feel like that's kind of cheating like maybe fanny should have come around you know fanny saw henry deliberately flirting and wooing with her cousin who was engaged to be married. She saw both Julia and Mary going nuts after Henry. She saw that Henry had no care for them whatsoever, no care for for Mary's fiance. It was all sport for him. And she took offense for her cousins. And and she she was the only one who really saw and could perceive what was actually happening with with them and how he was playing with their hearts and how wicked it is to just trifle with with the hearts of of women if you have just as a man to do that to do it on purpose to do it for sport and to put her in a comp she could have been she could have possibly been very happy with mr rushworth and content if henry didn't screw with her but he couldn't keep himself from it so fanny's got all of that that pretty damning it was pretty damning and it it formed a really strong opinion in her mind. He was going to have to do a lot to overcome that. And you take that together with her estimation of herself and her having been told her whole life that she's a nobody and a nothing and unworthy of any man's attentions. And, you know, you've got that strong judgment against Henry combined with her strong judgment against herself that makes it all the less probable that Henry's sincere Mm-hmm. In her mind, she's not maybe judging rightly the sincerity of Henry toward her. But what reason would she, has he ever given her to... To think that he can be sincere. So he's just got a long road. Of, he's dug his own grave. He's got to dig him, himself out of it. And that's just going to take time with somebody as timid as a Fanny Price. You know, it was starting to work. And you saw it start to work as you got to the end of the novel. And so I don't think it's that Han- Fanny was too judgmental or too harsh. I think it's just Fanny was Fanny. Henry was Henry. We got what we got. Like, I think... And Jane um, Austen straight up tells us that Henry could have pulled it off. She explicitly yeah. says if he'd stuck it in, if he just hadn't done the one stupid thing that he decided he had to do, if he just said... <laughs> if he had sworn off Mrs. Rushworth forever and never right. had, didn't go to the party, didn't go to the thing, didn't decide that... He could have one hand, Fanny, and, a, and he could have secured his own happiness. And she would have made him very happy and it would have improved him. And maybe he would have settled in. But nope, he didn't have the self-discipline. He didn't have the the character. She ended up being vindicated in her judgment of him. I've got two more questions about Fanny Price, Brandon. Two more. Two more. I was trying to see if I had a thought about what just nope. passed, but yeah. no, I don't. You don't? Okay. <laughs> You've I heard. agree with everything that was said. You agree. All right. Brandon gives a stamp of agreement. I'm glad to hear it. This is the second book in the row, in a row that we've read by Jane Austen, and the feminists really hate this, And it, where uh, we've got this male character who has a really large part in forming the female character's character, and then she falls in love with him. And it's like Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, Stockholm Syndrome. Is uh-huh. that weird? No. Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a stupid question. Okay. <laughs> Move on. All right, asked and answered. I agree. Okay. <laughs> Well, I guess you guys better explain in case any of our listeners had the same stupid question. What we actually see is 
a man who is honorable protecting and providing for somebody who is weak and vulnerable. And he does it at first because it's just the right thing to do. And of course she's going to be attracted to that. There's nothing Stockholm syndrome-y about an honorable man providing for and protecting a woman and a woman being attracted to that. What Stockholm syndrome is when a man takes and locks you up and abuses you and you somehow, over the course of time, fall in love with him because you start to get comfortable and acclimated to the uh, the intimacy that comes with abuse. And this is very different. So you're saying there's absolutely nothing creepy. I'll just it's not be, creepy. I'll just be, it's I'll not dark. It's advocate. not sinister. It's not. Here's the first cousin, and he he like forms her entire character into the kind of woman that he would well, want. When you put it that way, and then he he decides that she has beautiful not true. brown eyes. It's just not how true. it happens. What happens is they Mr. Knightley was a close family friend. Edmund and Fanny were cousins. So inevitably, the older cousin and the older Mr. Knightley are going to recommend books for them to read, are going to tell them how they should behave. I mean, it's just natural enough. It's not them. They're not like shaping this young girl so that she can then. They're going to be in a position to see things that other people don't see. And it would only be creepy if they were doing it because they're like, and I'm doing this because you're going to be my wife one day. Right. That's like, that's weird. Cult Edmund stuff was there. very clearly not doing any of that. So, I mean, the big joke of the book is the fact that he's courting Maria the whole, Mary, Mary the whole time, yeah. but ends up actually, he was actually courting Fanny the whole time, mm-hmm. but he just didn't know it. It was like his, right. if you want to get Freudian about it, his, his unconscious versus what he was actually doing. <laughs> right. I don't want to get Freudian about it, but yeah. No, it's not good Freudian Freud was dumb. That gets things weird. Yeah. Um, but even Mr. Knightley... As Emma got older, realized, wow, look, she, I, I love this girl. But it wasn't like I'm going to make my ideal wife. It's well, not and then Mr. Knightley, I think, Stein says story. at some point that he actually took a step back and did less, even yeah. less rebuke, because he's just like, eh. So it's not another, yeah, it's not a Frankenstein story of care, like you're Frankensteining their character so that they can be the perfect wife. That would be creepy if that was what was going on. But it's natural enough. Um my wife and I are four years apart. When I first actually knew who she was, I was a senior in high school and she was in eighth grade. I had no attraction to her. She was an eighth grader. I was dating girls my own age and whatever, but I had regard for her. I thought she was pretty neat. I thought she was special. I thought she was fun. I thought she was cool. That's the way I process Mr. Knightley and, and Emma. You know, he noticed her, but he didn't think anything ungentlemanly, ro- ungentlemanly uh, romantic of it. And, you know, a couple years pass and, and then suddenly, what? Wh- well, hey, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. There's nothing weird about it. You see it all the time. People see it all the time with, especially when you're close, as these people were always in each other's homes. And they were always at these big houses having their dinners. So yeah, of course, they're going to talk to the younger children. And I have a lot of patience for this question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we cleared that up. I was worried. Yeah. I really thought that maybe... I think Fanny you really were onto something succumbed there. Succumbed to yeah. Stockholm because Edwin was like, uh, just make the woman that I always wanted. <laughs> you know that part of the novel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, dance on my string, Fanny. You know that whole thing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just a full disclosure, uh, listener, I'm not that stupid. I didn't actually think that the answer to my question was that I was making conversation, play, being a good host, playing devil's advocate, okay? But I didn't actually think, okay, so do me a little credit here, listener. Yeah, listener. <laughs> okay. Guys, 
we got to be done with this episode. We're going to come back for a third part with Mansfield Park. I got one more question, though, since we're on the subject of Fanny Price. Okay. Yeah. All right. Of the three heroines that we've read about so far, we've read three Jane Austen novels. We've got Lizzie, we've got Emma, we've got Fanny. Who is your favorite and why? Who should I be looking for as a single guy? Who should I should I be looking for an Emma, a Lizzie, or a Fanny? Who should you be looking for? Okay, it's two separate questions. All right, we'll take the first question first, and we'll take the second question second. So the first question is, who's your favorite of the three Austen ladies and why? Hmm. It's interesting. I'll tell you who my least favorite is. <laughs> yeah, least favorite I can't, is, can't imagine. My least favorite is Emma. 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 All right. Sorry. But she gets redeemed. Yeah, sure. Emma Knightley's yeah, yeah. an okay lady. Yeah. Probably. Emma, you know, Emma Knightley's think... fine. Emma, Emma Knightley's a fine family friend. Okay. It may just be familiarity with a character more. I like Fanny Price a lot, but I think I still like Lizzie better. As for why, I have to think this out. So I may like Fanny better. I don't know. I, it's a hard question. I like Fanny and Lizzie both for this, for what we've said. They're completely opposite characters, but they have a similar transformation story that happens. Mm-hmm. They have to grow up and mature in the same way. Lizzie's definitely more annoying. Lizzie's more fun at a dinner party, too. She's more fun at a dinner party. There's something to be said for that. She's going to have livelier conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, is that... So would... Fanny's going to be quieter, more timid. She's going to be more suited to a quiet philosopher or a clergyman. She gets sick a lot. That Fanny. Not that every clergyman's quiet, but yeah, for a cl- quiet clergyman. Okay, that was the important adjective in front of it. Okay, so I actually have a friend in mind who has a very similar story to Edmund, attracted to a young flighty girl because she was pretty, okay. blonde, and then he thought I'll shape her into a woman. Like, and that's right. He got all drool coming out of his mouth. Like no, me. this guy, he's an amazing guy, he's brilliant, okay. but very quiet. Very serious guy. Mm-hmm. So they always say opposite attracts. It's probably more true for men. He thought that she could like get him out of his person, and he was she was just something he had never seen before. All sunshine and happiness to mm-hmm. his gloom and philosophical musings. But it turned out that she ended up not being that great of a girl, and so now he's happily married to a very quiet Fanny-like lady. I don't know how this helps me answer <laughs> your question, Lizzie or Fanny. Oh, it was, it was helping me answer who you should date. Oh, okay, you're going yeah, to you should date Lizzie. Question. Okay. You think? I think so. You want Fanny? I think so. Huh? Well, maybe you should go. I didn't for Fanny used either. to. I think I do now, but I don't know. I might be wrong about that. I might be wrong. I don't know. Maybe That's you why go, I you shouldn't why. go for Emma. Oh, well, no. I Emma's who I was attracted through in my early twenties, and I'm so thankful that God kept marrying Emma. Oh my goodness. Well, Fanny though, she likes to read. Yeah, she's clever. She I don't think Emma would have me because Emma's like, or not Emma. Emma would have me in a heartbeat. I could have Emma if I want. Lizzie. Li- no. Lizzie. I don't think Fanny, Fanny. would have me because oh. Fanny's just like oh, yeah, so serious about everything. She's just gonna be like, she's not gonna give me the time of day. She'll never. <laughs> but you're serious about the things in the right way. This is not the dating for Nathan. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> I think I think I think maybe I could get past Fanny's defenses. And well, I think could... either Lizzie or Fanny, where they end up in their novels, would be fine choices. Well, it's okay. just different work. I mean, yeah. with in both cases, with Fanny or Lizzie, you're gonna tr- you're gonna trust her judgment. Um, but with Lizzie, you're going to be fighting her. With Emma, you'll be fighting her too. With Fanny, you'll be building her up and drawing her out. And this is just a different kind of work. In, in all three cases, you're working with a good woman. With good, She's got good material to work with. She's got good character, well-formed character, good sensibilities, smart, insightful, discerning, wise. So it's really just what kind of fights 
What kind? What kind of battles? What? What? What do you want the work of your marriage to be? I see. Yeah, I don't want to pretend like every couple's compat. You know, everybody's equally compatible. But in this question, that's what I just keep thinking. Well, it's different kind of work. What kind of work do you have the have have this? Yeah, have the appetite for maybe because they're going to be beautiful and wonderful things about that work and very frustrating things about that work to have a Fanny Price who's going to be afraid to tell you her judgment about things to let things go and never actually you know feel like she can reveal her mind to you you're going to have to do that that work that's challenging and difficult now you have a an Emma or a Lizzie that's going to be very quick to tell you exactly what she thinks and what's on her mind and maybe she's right maybe she's not maybe she's quicker than you and ahead of you and you got to work and fight to stay ahead of her and and keep her in her place and uh you know that's it's just a very different kind of work that's a fantastic answer I'm, that's a great answer <laughs> <laughs> i'm wondering now it's good work on either side so what, really what, i can just marry whichever whatever pair of brown eyes does it for me well you had better if you're going to marry a lizzie or an emma you had better be committed to staying ahead of her and actually having those fights and not letting her just own you and if you're going to marry a fanny you had better be committed to protecting her and drawing her out and making her feel safe and she's never going to feel as safe as you want her to that fear and that 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 lack of feeling safe is going to come out in, in weird ways that are going to be frustrating and exasperating. And you have to be committed to always working to make her feel safe and loved and protected. Well, why it works for Edmund is that Edmund has a, a track record, a long track record of making her feel safe and disinterestedly making her feel safe without there being something else that he's after with mm-hmm. her for a long time. And so, she, you know, he's got a real advantage having Fanny's trust and having her be secure with him you gotta imagine that first year of marriage or whatever first few years is pretty is kind of awkward though figuring out the dynamic of okay now there are things i want from you and like right well this has been relationship advice with dr mensel you can send your <laughs> questions to dr jake at, at jacob mensel on on <laughs> yeah. twitter or, uh... i think we should just start a new segment for you where you do relationship advice for fictional characters <laughs> i love it so you have to answer the question uh though so um Who's your favorite, and whom, which one should I marry? <laughs> which one should you marry? Yeah, boy. Well, first you have to just say which one do you like. Who's your favorite? You got to choose a favorite. Oh man, gun to your head. Gun to my head. I guess Brandon says well, we didn't my even... favorite is. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to say my favorite's Fanny. It's because give me the humble, hardworking woman over the sweet but mouthy sometimes brat. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it at this point in my life. But Sweet and sometimes mouthy brats can be fun and awesome. And, and the humble, hardworking, quiet woman can be exasperating in her way. And So which one should I go for? I don't know, man. What do you want the work of your marriage to be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we got to answer this question for you. <laughs> Reader or listener, we're gonna, uh, we'll, we can't decide. I think it's, uh, it sounds like I can just do I can it. see both being very good for you. I can see both being kind of scary. Oh, yeah, um, it's going to be scary. I kind of like, I think, I, well, I, th- I think Lizzie 
is the safe choice. I think Fanny's a real risk, for but, but a real risk that could pay off huge. That's what I think. Yeah, that's what I think. It's a good answer. Yeah. Lizzie's the easy choice because you've spent your whole life working and staying ahead of people and being able to deal with them right. as you talk with them. But Fanny, Should it's be. a different kind of work for you. Yeah. The risk is that you would get exasperated and quit and shut down. That's no good. It's not good. That. But she'd be a comfort to you too, though. And she would be Since a you're... really strong, stabilizing, helpful. That's right. That's like what I... It, it, She'd she'd make you a, a she'd make you a better man. That's what I've been thinking. She'd make you a better a better man than a Lizzie could. I think Lizzie doesn't bring to you. What <laughs> you don't need Lizzie's incisive no, quick tongue. That's what that, you, you yeah. got. That you got the incisive quick tongue. Yeah. She, all she's gonna do is be like a narcissistic mirror. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and I feel like so what I'm mm. what I'm thinking is that uh yeah you got all the workers like Jake said of staying ahead of everybody. You're fighting all the time with the stuff you're. Doing doing for Warhorn Media. You want to go home and be comforted by a quiet, gentle spirit that actually just feels loves you. safe in your presence. Loves you, you and just loves you for making her feel safe. <laughs> so and we're going to find you a fanny. So we have to find a fanny. We've actually come to a decision here. And yeah. All right. Well, fanny, if you're listening, I enjoy long walks on the beach. <laughs> and I have an incisive, witty personality, as you well know, if you listen to this podcast. You just heard that those bars I was spitting earlier. Was that this episode? <laughs> yes. Probably. I'm muddled in my brain. Maybe. I don't know. That was the pinnacle of incisive wit right there. When I when I go into rap, that's when you really hear the, the old neurons firing. All right. So Jake's favorite character is Fanny. He thinks Nathan should marry Fanny. Brandon's favorite character is... I don't know. It's really 50-50 between Lizzie and Fanny. But you think I should marry Fanny? You should marry Fanny. Okay. I always wanted to marry Lizzie when I was younger, but I've 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 changed on that. I don't think I do. I I but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll just be miserable and alone my whole life. You never know what's going to happen in life. Could be hit by a train tomorrow. Could be. Could uh what a train death. All right, Fanny, if you're listening, you know what to you know what to do. She won't do it though. She's hundred and thirteen dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we said a couple of episodes. All you have to do is not be passive at all, but take a very incisive and uh, specific specific step of submitting hundred and thirteen dollars a month. You know, you don't even have to stay signed up. Just do it one month. I'll know you're the woman for me, the woman of my dreams. I will go on some dates. I'll sweep you off your feet. You'll 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 you know you might be a little intimidated at first by uh, what you perceive to be my. Henry Crawfordishness. My Henry Crawfordishness, <laughs> but but I'll show you my inner Edmund, of which I have one, I think. And uh, you know, we'll we'll go to town. We'll we'll get married. We'll have some kids. Uh, we'll we'll picket fence, color white, the works. Yeah, make, make a little life together, and you'll make me a better man and a better podcaster. Yeah. And so the whole world of listening, our listening audience, will benefit. Or any Emmas out there listening could donate the money on behalf of their. <laughs> Harriet. They're Harriet. They're fannies. <laughs> I don't want She better Harriet. be fanny, though, yeah. not Harriet. No, I don't want Harriet, but I'll take the fanny equivalent in that novel. What's her name? Jane. It's Jane, right? I don't remember. I think it's Jane. She's the, the one that marries, she actually marries kind of a Henry Crawford kind of a guy. Yeah. She marries Frank yeah. Churchill. Yeah, that right. lady. Yeah, that. Yeah, she's a, she's kind of a fanny. She's kind of a fanny. Yeah, you're right. Well, that was fun. I don't know. Maybe I'll cut some of that out, but it's kind of, you know, I mean, if Jane Austen doesn't make you think about your actual relationships and your love life, then I think you might be doing something wrong, folks. So, yep. Anyone want to say anything else before we do the credits? Yeah. Nah. 
the book any day was written and produced by Nathan Alverson. It was Nathan Alverson. It was performed by Brandon, Jake, and Nathan. What Jane Austen character do you think Brandon most re- resembles? Oh boy, Jake. This is not a nice question. <laughs> <laughs> you got your Mister Rushworth, yep. Mr. Collins. Your Collins. Oh, Mr. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, I, my, I can. I hope I don't flatter you if I say maybe Edmund. Oh, yeah, wow. you're just a decent man. Thank you. Good guy, yeah. smart, upright. Appreciate that, guys. <laughs> You met your wife and you were like, I'll form your character and well, I'll make you into the woman. I'll mold you like clay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jake, where should they go? What should they do? They should go to patreon.com forward slash the booking and uh, support us today. At a dollar, four dollars a month, you can get exclusive behind the paywall, behind the scenes content. Mm hmm. That we put up every single yep. week. <laughs> we record before every single episode. Yep. At $10 a month, you can get that plus your uh, donor shout your out. Your donor shout out. One of our most beloved segments, of course. We have other arbitrary levels leading all the way up to $50 that get you basically nothing except for more appreciation. But the $50 level gets you something. But at the $50 level, uh, you get a, a copy of each book each book that we do personally signed and with notes and drawings and other random things stuck inside of them um, and sent your way with plenty of time for you to read them. So uh, I think we give them two or three months in advance. So yeah, it's a pretty fantastic deal. Oh yeah. And they're good. They're quality books. They're selected by Alex McNeely, the husband of Mr. One, Bomb of reading. It, Mr. Dubstep is Mr. what Dub- I was going yes. <laughs> to Mr. Dubstep himself, yeah. who uh, also proofs and typesets all of uh, Warren Media's books. And he knows what makes he's what a man of taste. make a good book. He's uh, a man he's, of taste. He's selecting books that he would himself enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get a Dover. No Dover thrift or anything like that. Here. They're going to be nice, nicely bound, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll make an attractive addition to your bookshelf. Yeah. Very attractive. Mm-hmm. Except for Ready Player One. That's <laughs> yeah, not so attractive. But hey, you know, uh, you missed the boat on that. That's already gone. We've already mailed those out. That's right. That's right. And future Fanny, future Fanny Alberson, if you're listening, I think you might be the most attractive addition to my bookshelf. <laughs> so uh, just uh, submit that $113. Just come in your, your unformed state and I'll mold you into the kind of woman that I want. You'll fall in love with me. And... Uh, We'll get married, and uh, maybe the feminists had a point. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>